Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Welcome to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9 Hi FM. I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Kievman. And as tomorrow evening, we welcome the month of Elul. Elul is an exciting time of the year. The king is in the field. On Sunday, we are going to start with blowing the shofar. And when you think about Rosh Hashanah, in fact, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Now, I know we spend many hours in shul. There's apples dipped in honey. There's perhaps the chazan and the rabbi's long sermon. But a whole month leading up to Rosh Hashanah, we start with blowing the shofar. And what is perhaps the highlight of the holiday, the piercing blast of the ram's horn is what heralds in the beginning of a new year, new commitments, strengthening our resolutions of the past and recommitting to our relationship with God and with each other, in fact. So we realize it's quite evident that the shofar is an important part of Rosh Hashanah. The fact that we spend an entire month of preparing, rehearsing, of getting ready for this holiday with blowing the shofar. Let's talk a little bit about the shofar, what it means, and what message we could take from it as we begin, as we embark on the journey of blowing the shofar next week. And why is it that such, that the shofar is such an integral part of the Jewish New Year? You know, Rosh Hashanah is certainly a day of prayer and introspection, and yet we spend all this time preparing to blow the horn of a ram. What is it about? So I thought it would be appropriate that we talk a little bit about that today as we get ready for Rosh Hashanah. And it's quite telling perhaps that in the Torah, we are told very little actually about what Rosh Hashanah is and how we're supposed to observe this holiday. The Torah does not say that you have to dip an apple in honey or spend eight hours praying. In fact, aside from the designated karbanat, the sacrifices that were offered back in the temple and the provision against work on Rosh Hashanah that the Torah tells us explicitly, other than that, the Torah pretty much gives us just one item on that to-do list of Rosh Hashanah. What does it say in the Torah? Ah, maybe that's a little bit of a preparation as we get ready for this day. The Torah says, In the seventh month, on the first day, a Holy convocation it should be for you. You should not perform any mundane activities. It should be a day of shofar blasting, of teruah for you. And so, as the sages have noted, the shofar on Rosh Hashanah is not just a tangential mitzvah, a cool little activity to spice things up. Rather, shofar is the main mitzvah of the holiday. And in a certain sense, it actually defines what the day is all about. And that's why we're going to spend a whole month preparing, rehearsing, blowing the shofar. So inscribe, by describing, giving us, telling us to, to blow the shofar 
And as the Torah tells us explicitly, as it was done in the Holy Temple, in fact, the Mishnah describes in Tractate Rosh Hashanah, it tells us, the Mishnah describes what it's about, and it tells us that the Rosh Hashanah shofar has to be the horn of an ibex, and it, it describes the details. It should be straight and its mouthpiece coated in gold in the temple times. What's the way that's, that's what the shofar looked like. And the Talmud describes it was company, accompanied by two trumpets. One on each side of the sounding of the shofar. So the way the Talmud gives us the details and it describes that Marich, they would give these long blasts of the shofar. And then there were short blasts with the trumpets. So the fact that the Talmud gives us all these details, we understand that there's an important element going on here. You know, we're, we today, we're familiar with just the shofar. But it turns out, as the Talmud describes to us, that in the times of the temple, there was more than just the shofar as we see. There was this, call some kind of like a, an orchestra, a concerto of, of trumpets and shofars going on. And still, the Mishnah tells us the focus was not on the fancy trumpets. Rather, they were accompanying the simple shofar. In, in a deeper sense, Hasidus explains that the mitzvah of the day is the shofar goes beyond the details of ceremony. It's not just a technical fact that the mitzvah of the day, that's the mitzvah of, Sh- of Rosh Hashanah is to blow the shofar, which at face value might simply mean that the only Rosh Hashanah specific mitzvah we have from the Torah, besides for abstaining from work on this day, is the shofar. But rather in a spiritual sense, whatever it is that we accomplish through the shofar, Rosh Hashanah is, and through the whole month preparing for it, is accompanied by way of the shofar, that the shofar certainly has a very powerful impact. In fact, in one of his talks, the Rebbe explains that the shofar blast affects all the proceedings of Rosh Hashanah because the fact that it is called by our sages mitzvah hayom b'shofar that the mitzvah of Rosh Hashanah this, yes we have tashlech and we eat meals and we pray and we read the Torah but this seems to be the essential mitzvah of the holiday that is telling us that the shofar blowing of Rosh Hashanah takes on a whole new dimension a whole new significance and it turns out that the shofar it's critical to doing Rosh Hashanah right. It is critical to our prayers, to our repentance, to our being inscribed for a good year. For everything we do in Rosh Hashanah, the shofar plays such a vital, important role. The question, of course, is, how do you say it, Clive? Why? What is it about the shofar that makes it so important, so critical to every aspect of this holiday that we're spending the whole month preparing and rehearsing and getting ready with the shofar? So to get to the bottom of that, we have to ask ourselves another question. What really is the reason for this mitzvah? Right? It stands to reason that once we understand what the shofar is all about, then we'll more clearly understand what Rosh Hashanah is all about. And of course, then we can understand why this is the essential mitzvah of Rosh Hashanah. Now to tell you the truth, our sages throughout the generations have discussed the meaning of the shofar, and there's many, many explanations for it. But instead of going through all of them, let's just look at Rabbi Sadia Gon, he actually enumerated no less than 10 reasons behind the shofar. This is besides for so many others. So let me just read through some of these reasons as Rabbi Sadia Gon enumerates them. And then after our ad break, we could take some time to discuss, to dissect, to analyze 
and to see what it's all about. Says Rav Sadiqan, Rosh Hashanah marks the beginning of creation, when Almighty God created the world and proclaimed His rule over it. Therefore, it is customary to blow trumpets and horns to publicize the beginning of a new monarch's reign. Hence, just as this was done for coronation of kings in the past, we are recoronating Hashem as our king in Rosh Hashanah. Secondly, he says, Rosh Hashanah marks the 10-day period of repentance of Teshuvah. So, we blow the shofar as if to proclaim, whoever wishes to repent, now is your chance. Don't complain later if you miss it. Says Rav Sadiagon, this is analogous to the way kings warn their subjects regarding their decrees. So that if anyone transgresses, then there are no excuses. You were given fair warning. Of course, to us, this is a reminder that this is a time for Teshuvah. In fact, just as a paramedic resuscitates a, you know, a doctor or anyone, the resuscitation of a body is through CPR, cardiopulmonary resuscitation. Well, likewise, when you want to resuscitate a soul, you want to bring it back to life, you want to give it an opportunity of rejuvenation, you need the CPR. Charity, prayer, and repentance. Thirdly, the shofar reminds us of Harsinai so that we accept upon ourselves the commitment of our ancestors to keep and study the Torah, just as the shofar blasts accompanied God's giving us the Torah at Mount Sinai, the day, the great day which we celebrate Shavuos, the revelation of God, the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. Well, says Rav Sajigon, this is reminiscent of that. We remind ourselves of it, and so we blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah. Number four, says Rav Sajigon, to remind us of the words of the prophets, which are compared to the sound of the shofar. Number five, he explains to remind us of the destruction of the temples and the sound of the enemy's horn in battle, so that we should beseech Almighty God, we should beseech and pray to Hashem to rebuild the temple. Number six, Sajagon tells us to remind us of the of the the Akedas Yitzchak, the binding of Isaac, who was willing to sacrifice his life to God. And only later was replaced with a ram, as we know the story in which we're going to read on Rosh Hashanah. So he says, we too resolve to sacrifice our lives to God. That doesn't mean we live to die, but rather when you're willing, when you, you, when you are willing to die for something, then certainly you have what to live for. So in that sense as well, Rabbi Sadjigan is reminding us what it means to be a Jew. Number seven, to hear God and tremble and submit ourselves before Hashem. For by nature, the shofar blast inspires fear and awe. So we spend this month blowing the shofar, getting ready for Rosh Hashanah, when we will blast it in earnest to give ourselves that opportunity to renew our relationship with God. Number eight, he says, to remember the day of great, the, the, the great day of judgment and fear Hashem. Number nine, to remind us and cause us to yearn for a kibbutz gully at the gathering of exiles when the, when what does it say uh, that the, the prophets tell us, prophet Isaiah, Yeshayahu Navi says, on that day it will be, that will be, will hear the great shofar blasts will be blown. The lost ones in the lands of Assyria, which is a reference to all the Jews dispersed around the world, will be regathered the gathering of the exiles. Finally, number 10, to remind us of and renew our faith in the revival of the dead. 
As the verse states, again, quoting from Yeshayahu, from Isaiah the prophet, that all the inhabitants of the world and all the dwellers of the earth, when a standard of the mountains is raised, you shall see. When a shofar is sounded, you shall hear. So these are the ten reasons that are enumerated and offered by Rav Sajigan. And of course, that gives us plenty of food for thought as we listen to the shofar starting Sunday. But not to let anyone down, there are obviously many, many more reasons offered by many of our sages. And the Chinuch, in fact, Rabbi Aaron Alevi of Barcelona, in his Sefer HaChinuch, when he talks about the mitzvah of shofar, he says, as a corporeal entity, a human being will only be inspired if someone or something triggers that inspiration. Indeed, we find that trumpets are blown to rally the troops in times of war. Similarly, he says on Rosh Hashanah, the day of judgment for all creatures, the shofar blast arouses the hearts of those who hear it as they stand before God in judgment of life, or God forbid otherwise. So we see these various ideas. And, you know, think of the shofar blast as your personal battle cry, inspiring you to go all out and conquer yourself. That's what we're spending the next four weeks in preparation for Rosh Hashanah so that we could be and get caught up in, in the, in the, uh, inspiration of this time of the year. And in fact, Rambam tells us he sees the shofar sound as a sort of wake up call. In fact, Rambam says to quote, he says, even though the sounding of the shofar on Rosh Hashanah is a decree, it's a, Decree, it's Xeris Akasa, as the verse tells us, as I read to you before. But it's as if the chauffeur's call he tells us is saying, Wake up, you sleepy ones. Wake up from your slumber, from your sleep. Arise. Inspect your deeds. Repent. Remember your Creator. Those who forget the truth in the vanities of time and throughout the entire year, devote their energies to vanity and emptiness that will not benefit or save. Look into your souls, Rambam tells us. Improve your ways and your deeds and let every one of you abandon whatever evil path, whatever we perhaps do that is not appropriate that we could fix up in our character traits. And so thinking about this in the course of the year, we know we're liable to get a little sleepy. We get a little jaded. Maybe, you know, I'm talking spiritually speaking, metaphorically, figuratively. The truth that we sort of know in the back of our mind gets drowned out by daily life and our purest ambitions and spiritual passions fall asleep. So this is the time of the year. As Elul comes, we have an alarm that arouses us back to our senses that reminds us Time to wake up. So certainly, as we discussed, the shofar is a very, very important thing and a central part of Rosh Hashanah as we have demonstrated. And we'll be back after these messages with some more insights, some more meaning and purpose and understanding about the shofar. And we'll uncover the deeper dimension which the shofar teaches us which if the Torah tells us that this is the mitzvah, that it encompasses Rosh Hashanah, there certainly is a deeper insight of meaning. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. 
Welcome back to Soul to Soul, right here on 101.9 Chai FM. I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Kievman. And before the ad break, we talked about, we described how the shofar blast serves primarily as a call to action to those who hear it. And how we're going to spend the time now over the next four weeks getting ready for the high holidays for Rosh Hashanah. And we'll be blowing the shofar every weekday. But besides for the reasons enumerated by Rab Sajigon and mentioned about the Sefer Echinoch and Rambam, Hasidus often looks at the shofar in a different, from a different angle, from a different perspective, as a voice expressing the feelings of the congregation of the community rather than a voice that's talking to the community. It's a voice that's expressing the feelings of the community. In other words, through the shofar, we are sending a message to God rather than it being Hashem's message to us. And think of that. Wait a second. Rosh Hashanah is a day full of prayer and ritual. So what message are we possibly trying to convey to God in the shofar blast that we cannot convey with our prayers, with our rituals that we're doing? There are two wonderful analogies cited in Hasidic writings that shed light on this matter that I want to share with you. The first parable is attributed to the Baal Shem Tov and concerns a king and his beloved child. Says the Baal Shem Tov that the call of the shofar he illustrated with a parable, a mashal. He says there was once a king who had a very knowledgeable son who was very dear to him, the apple of his eye. The king decided that the prince should travel to foreign lands to learn from their wisdom and customs. So the king provided his son, the prince, with officers and servants and a whole lot of money, credit cards, whatever it was in those days, and enabled him to tour foreign lands and islands so that he would grow more cultured and would learn from the other countries, bring back the novelties, the ideas, the cultures from other places back home. Well, as time passed, the prince wasted all the money that his father had given to him on the various luxuries that, you know, uh, travels cost money. And so he spent a lot of it. He indulged more than he typically would at home, perhaps, and eventually was forced to sell everything he owned. And in the process, he ended up in a place so far away that the inhabitants had never even heard of his father, the king. Well, in his distress... The prince decided it's time to go home. But after traveling for such an extended period of time, he no longer remembered even how to speak his native language, where he came from. And when he arrived back home in his homeland, the prince was at a loss because he couldn't even communicate in the local language. So using various motions and hints, he began to indicate that he was the prince until he arrived at the palace courtyard and he tried to show all the court staff, all the security apparatus, and he was the prince. But nobody paid attention to him. It was this strange fellow. And at that point, the prince finally began to cry out loud. He was hoping that his father would recognize his voice, his cry. And when the king indeed did hear the prince's voice, he of course recognized it's his own child, his son, the prince calling out in distress. And the father's love for his son was stirred and he hugged and kissed his child and they be embraced. Now, I hope that by now you've certainly guessed who, rep- who represents who in this parable. Obviously the king represents God and the prince is symbolic of us. 
the parable alludes to the unfortunate apparent distance that we often find between us and our Father in Heaven. And so it concludes with this very touching reunion. As the Baal Shem Tov says, so it is in the analog. Jewish souls, we are called God's children. Now the soul descends to this world in a physical corporeal body. And just like the prince who traveled to a faraway land to learn, God dispatched us into this foreign abode, into the physical world, to a place that perhaps is to some degree unfamiliar territory, out of the comfort zone of us, the prince. Says the Baal of the analogy is that through observing the mitzvahs, through studying the Torah, reading the blueprint, the instruction manual for life, by doing good deeds, a soul is elevated far higher than its level that it was at before it descended into this world. Just like the prince who's supposed to come back more cultured from his travels. But we know what happens sometimes along the way. Just like the prince in the parable, in the analogy, who got distracted, sometimes we too, out of love for our bodies, for physical passion, it could sometimes happen that the soul becomes very far removed from its purpose, from its journey, from its objective, from the goal that it was sent here to achieve, to the point that it no longer even recognizes God's name. It seems so foreign to the soul. doesn't even know its own language. doesn't even sometimes remember where it comes from. Until finally, it gets this epiphany, this wake-up call, until it realizes it's time to return, to go back where I come from. And we call out, to our Father in Heaven with a simple cry. So the Baal Shem Tov explains that perhaps this is the symbolism of the simple shofar blast. He says that represents the inner call from the depths of our heart coming from regret for our transgressions, for our deviations, from our digression from the, from the path that we were supposed to take, from the journey that we were sent here for. And we resolve to listen to our Father. And this call arouses God to show His love for His child, to forgive us for what we may have done, for the mistakes we may have made. We may have done things that don't make our Father proud. We may even have done things so disgraceful that it would be hard to explain how we, how the King's child, could even do such things. But that has no bearing on the fact that the King is our Father. And deep down there's still an unbreakable bond of love between us. When we blow the shofar, we show God that we still have it in us to do what He wants. That we now resolve to conduct ourselves better than in the past as He expects. And this brings God's love to the fore. And He in turn looks past our mistakes, past our misdeeds, our shortcomings and failures. That's one metaphor. The second parable also sets God as king, as, you know, parables tend to do, but with a very different twist than the first parable. In this one, which is from the teachings of our Lady Yitzchak of Barditchev, a very famous Hasidic master, he says that he gives a parable of a king who had gotten lost in the forest, unable to find his way home. In the forest, he saw some townsfolk, and he asked them for directions. But they didn't recognize him as the king. They didn't know what to tell him. Because 
that you know they they never in their lives had seen the great road leading back directly to the palace. Eventually, the king met a wise man and asked him to tell him the way. This wise person understood that standing before him was none other than the king. So he drew back in respect and immediately fulfilled the king's wish by showing him the way. For in his great wisdom, he was familiar with the great road leading directly to the palace. And he led the king back to the palace and back to his majestic throne. Many years later, this wise person sadly committed an offense against the king. You can imagine how enraged the king was. And the king commanded his chief ministers to sentence this person as befitting for someone who transgresses the king's decree. This man was greatly troubled. He knew that he would be punished very seriously. He knew how grave, how serious his his offense was. And so he fell before the king and he begged him that the king grant him just one wish that he be permitted to wear the same clothes he wore on the day that he led the king back to his palace from the forest. And that the king likewise shall wear those same clothes that he wore on the day when he was lost. Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Arditchev tells us in this metaphor that the king granted his wish. When they both wore their respective clothing, the king remembered the great kindness that this wise man had done in returning him to his palace, to his majestic throne. And so his mercy was aroused. And the wise man found favor again in the king's eyes. And the king forgave him for this terrible offense. But when the king remembered the kindness this man did, the king set this man free. So Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Barbichev, in this parable, he casts the Jewish people in the role of God's helpers. That we are God's helpers. We help fulfill the divine purpose of why God created this world. But then, as homo sapiens, as human beings, we sometimes make mistakes. Sometimes we make big mistakes. But then we remind Hashem of our great deeds of the past. What's our misdeed? What was our great deed of the past? So Rabbi Levi Yitzchak Abraditchev continues and tells us the analog before the Torah was given, God offered it to all the nations of the world, each and every nation, but none of them accepted. However, we, the Jewish people, we did accept it. Not only did we accept it, we embraced it with much joy. We agreed to observe it even before knowing what it contained. We said, Nasa before Nishma. We accepted upon ourselves the yoke of God's kingdom. We crowned Hashem as king upon us to fulfill His commandments and to follow the ways of His Holy Torah. But now we have sinned. We've rebelled against Hashem. Therefore, on Rosh Hashanah, and for the entire month before rehearsing, we blow the shofar, which is like the clothing that we wore back at Mount Sinai, as I mentioned before, that Rabbi Sadiagon enumerates this as one of the reasons that we blow the shofar on Rosh Hashanah. So that God will remember how we accepted the Torah, how we crowned Him as our King with the shofar blast, as the verse tells us about the kol shofar, the sound of the shofar there at Mount Sinai. And when Hashem remembers that this merit of ours, God forgives us for all of our sins and inscribes us all 
for a good life instantly. The very fact that we agreed to accept God as our king is a tremendous value. Yes, it's true. We confess that we don't always live up to the standards to which we committed ourselves back then. But in Rosh Hashanah, we remind Almighty God of our merits by dressing up as we did at Mount Sinai and thus bringing God to grant us a good sweet year. And these two Hasidic parables are very touching indeed. But each one actually has a distinct message of its own. And when we get to really comprehending and understanding it, we see the true meaning of the shofar and how central indeed it is to our Rosh Hashanah celebrations as a whole. So when we think back, why is it we're spending a whole month of blowing the shofar? And then it's mitzvah sayom, it is the specific commandment of Rosh Hashanah itself. These two Hasidic parables illustrate the role of the shofar blast as an expression of our deep bond with Hashem. How the, the first one from the Valshemta describes how the Jewish people are like a son, the prince, who went far off the beaten path, unable even to communicate coherently with our Father in Heaven. We forgot our ways. But when we call with the shofar from the depths of our hearts, God's fatherly love is aroused. And in the second parable, which we shared from Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Radichev, he describes how the Jewish people, in accepting the Torah at Mount Sinai, were like that wise person who helped the king return to his palace, but ended up getting in trouble at some stage. When we sound the shofar on Rosh Hashanah, God remembers the goodness that we did in the past, and God grants us a sweet new year. Stay tuned, we'll be right back to analyze these two parables and to conclude with some inspirational messages. We'll be right back. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to Soul to Soul, right here on 101.9 High FM. I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Kiedman. Great to be with you here this afternoon. And as we get ready tomorrow evening for Rosh Chodesh Elul, reminding us that we are one month away from Rosh Hashanah. And in preparation for the high holidays, we rehearse each day blowing the shofar blast starting from this coming Sunday, the second day of Rosh Chodesh. And we discussed various reasons, 10 enumerated by Rabbi Sadiqan, as well as others. And we gave two metaphors, parables from Hasidus, from the Baal Shem Tov, as well as Rabbi Levi Yitzchak telling us the deeper meaning behind the shofar blasts. Now, in order to really truly understand and comprehend let us just first take a look at the prayer structure of the Rosh Hashanah Musaf. And in fact, it's a good idea to take some time now, open your machzor, and peruse through the passages, through the various prayers, familiarize yourself with them, with the tunes, with the meaning of the verses, so that when Rosh Hashanah comes around, you truly understand it. In fact, our shul will be offering a beautiful course coming up in the Upcoming weeks, we'll be sending out an email blast, a walk through the Machzor with Rabbi Tzimbat Yekivman. We'll give you an opportunity to see and understand the depth and meaning of the Rosh Hashanah prayers. 
And as you will get to the Musaf prayers, you will see that the Musaf from Rosh Hashanah is quite long. In fact, it's very long. And that's because we recite a host of prescribed verses from the Tanakh, from our scriptures, that are interspersed with multiple shofar blasts throughout, both during the silent Amida as well as during Chazor Sashat's, the Chazan's repetition. And this is besides for the main shofar blowing that we do after Torah reading and at the very end of the Rosh Hashanah service. What exactly are all these verses about that we read and blast the shofar? Well, the Talmud and Tractate Rosh Hashanah explains, Amar Rabbah, Rabbah said, Amar HaKadosh Baruch Almighty God tells us, Imru Lefaneh B'Rosh Hashanah, recite before me on Rosh Hashanah verses of Malchias, Zichronos, Rishofros. This Verses describing kingship, verses describing remembrance, and verses describing the shofar blast. Malchias, what's the purpose of the verses of kingship? So as to crown Hashem as your king, we coronate Hashem on this day, just as Rosh Hashanah, we recall the creation of the very first human beings, Adam and Eve, and when Adam and Chava coronated God back then, so do we today. Zichronos, the verses of remembrance, So as to remember to be remembered before Hashem for all your merits of good. And, Bameh, with what shall you crown Hashem as king and be remembered for good? So the Gemara tells us, Bashofar, we do so with the blasts of the shofar. And so, there are 30 verses in the Musaf prayer, 10 verses for each category of Malchias, Achronis, and Shofar's kingship, remembrance, and shofar related matters. But reading the Talmud a, bit, a little bit slower, it seems that Shofar is not just the third category of verses. The, the language, it's already said, the Gemara says, Ubama, with what? With the Shofar. It seems to imply that the Shofar, the verses describing the Shofar, is the instrument that's used to affect the other items on the list. The Malchias, the kingship, the crowning of God as king, and... Zichronus, the remembrance that we remember, that we be remembered before Hashem for good. So what exactly does that mean? How does the shofar accomplish the kingship and remembrance? The analogies that I shared with you before from the Balsham as well as from Balevi Yitzchak of Radichev, hopefully that helps us resolve this riddle. In the first parable, the shofar is cast as the instrument used when we, the Jewish people, the prince, the king's son, get hopelessly out of touch with our father in heaven. And in this sense, the shofar represents Malchias, the kingship aspect of Rosh Hashanah, asking God from the depths of our heart to please be our king and that we're not subject to any other power, desire, cultural norm, fad, whatever distractions there are out there, just as the prince who got distracted and deviated, digressed from the journey for which he set out on. And in the second parable from Rabbi Levi there we cast the shofar as the instrument to use when we want to remind God of the good things that we have done. And this clearly aligns 
with the Zechronas remembrance aspect of Rosh Hashanah, like the wise person who helped the king find his way back to the palace, to his majestic throne. So Hasidus tells us the shofar affects both the crown me as king, the coronation of Hashem, as well as the Zechronas to be remembered for good aspects of Rosh Hashanah. For the shofar is analogous to the simple call from the depth of the soul and is likewise analogous to the garment that we wore when we received the Torah at Mount Sinai. And this is understood from both of these parables. So the shofar both represents our simple cry to crown God as our king. And it also reminds Hashem and us ourselves who we are. So the Shofar is truly the commandment, the mitzvah of Rosh Hashanah. And that's why we spend a whole month preparing for Rosh Hashanah by blowing the shofar. It represents the entirety of what we celebrate on Rosh Hashanah. Yes, there are many ideas and themes to the Jewish New Year. And at its core, Rosh Hashanah is simply returning to God, to Shuvah, accepting Hashem as our king. Right? That is, in a nutshell, is the whole point of the day. But... The message of the shofar, the point to the whole day of Rosh Hashanah, is to inform the way we approach this new beginning, this new year, this new you. As we arrive in shul ready to begin Rosh Hashanah and to start a whole new year, we spend a whole month blowing the, sh- the shofar to remind ourselves to keep that goal in mind. What are we here for? Many people might think the goal is the, is, is, is perhaps the, Charitable pledges that people give for the various organizations. And maybe it's beating ourselves up for what we did wrong in the past. Or who knows, whatever other reason you might feel. But the truth is, it's not about any of these side issues. The main point and why we're spending all this time now blowing the chauffeur. It's very simple about revealing a core connection that each of us has with Hashem. And this is something we can all do to take some steps toward making God the big boss in our lives. We don't have to focus too much on all the fancy schmancy stuff we did in the past year or all the missteps and failures that we may have made or the big plans for the future. We should focus on being who we are. We are Am Yisrael. We are the Jewish people with a soul that wants nothing more than living in unison with the will of our Father in Heaven. So while it's true that Rosh Hashanah celebrates the creation of the entire world, and that includes all the nations of the world and all of creation, God commands us to recite in Rosh Hashanah these verses of Malchias, of kingship, so that we crown Hashem as our King. It should be a personal relationship. Each one as individuals re reigniting that spark, that relationship, that connection, that bond, that inextricable connection that each of us has with Hashem. And Zichronas, the remembrance, so that we remember what we truly are. Every single one of us is indispensable to God's plan. The fact that God created us means we matter. And the fact that we are here, we came pristinely pure, holy, good. Don't forget who you are. Even if it's true that sometimes we make mistakes along the way. Don't abandon, 
don't neglect, don't forget your true, your true core value, who you really are. And thereby you will be remembered, you will be remembered for all the good that you have done, for all of your kindness, compassion, care, sensitivity, love for others. And Hashem will see that. And those merits will stand you by. And as the parables that the Baal Shem Tov and Rabbi Levi Yitzchak expressed and illustrate, the shofar is the instrument both for crowning God as our king, but also for reminding Hashem and ourselves who we really truly are. And therefore the shofar truly encompasses the entire point of Rosh Hashanah. Simply getting back to our core identity, the values of who we are, and crowning God as our king. Wishing you all a good Shabbos and a Chodesh Tov. May we all indeed merit before God to be inscribed and sealed for a great year ahead. Seize the opportunity, carpe diem as we like to say here on this show. Seize the opportunities in the coming weeks to reflect back on the past year that was, just as perhaps you would do with your business. Think back, take stock, and do a little bit of cheshbon anafesh, a little bit of self-introspection, soul-searching, to see and remember all the good which you have done. And then just think, if good is good, isn't better even better? And take this coming month to resolve how we could be even better to shine ourselves so that when we come to Rosh Hashanah, boy, will we sparkle and shine because we focused and we, we, we're aware of the good we've done and how much better we can do to make this world such a better place. Wishing you all a good Shabbos, good Chodesh, Carpe Diem.